the guys from Ping, they've kind of shown me how much the equipment matters. I just love that I can hit any shot I kind of want. We're going to be able to tell some fun stories about what goes on here to help golfers play better golf. Welcome back to the Ping Proving Grounds podcast. I'm Shane Bacon. That is Marty Jertson, my man in somewhat matching purple. Is that fair to say? Derek Dominski joins us now. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Excited for this uh, podcast. We've been meaning to have you on for a bit. I know you guys have known each other for a long, long time. I've been following you for a good amount of time on social media, but as we know with social media, I've never met you in human form yeah. till today. Yeah, it's felt like we've played a few rounds, gone out a few times, but it's been official today. Here we go. Um, Marty, I would like you to start the pod by giving us a breakdown of Derek's golf game, start to finish. I know you've seen it up close over the years. Uh, off the tee. He's got a uh, a fade every single time, 100% of the time. Reliable. Reliable uh, with the Metal Woods. Iron game is solid and trending. Uh, chipping needs improvement or what? Chipping is this little <laughs> weak spot, but his ball striking so good, he hardly ever needs it on the course. Is it is it weird to hear that? go, well, is it yeah. weird to go from like a good player that you know lives in Arizona and competes to becoming this like internet guy that people know of because of their short game. What has that been like to see random people come up to you and talk to you about chipping and pitching at an airport or something? Yeah, so it, it hasn't come to that, um, I guess, thankfully. But uh, I've known Marty for a long time. We've become good friends. He's roped me into ping, which is what I wanted the whole time. I was like, oh, no, don't don't help me out with ping at <laughs> anything. Lead me to this. No, please, no. Um, but I'm just a golf junkie. So that's I remember the first time we met, was at the gallery north course and it was i think for the ppc or something yeah. and you were just out there grinding it's super hot marty's out there on the back of the range i'm like oh I, you know i know he works with paying i want to introduce myself i've seen him on tv he's like you know major championship guy <laughs> and then we start talking like mac o'grady and he's just i'm like this is my guy right here and i think he played well the next day and yeah you know, i did not <laughs> but we had great times and here we are now yeah at the the bird Marty, this is an unbelievable facility. If you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, you look behind us and you see why the ASU teams are as good as they are. I yeah. mean, I have been dreaming of the moment I get to go out there and hit some pitch shots here in a little bit. Uh, this is the real deal. So shout out to ASU for letting us use this. And Papago, a place uh, I played a lot of golf. Marty, you played a lot Same. of golf. Annoyingly, you'd take like six months off of golf and then play and the Papago Monday game and shoot like 65. Well, That's kind of your MO. It, it is fun. I, I, uh, you know, I get Mondays off with the day job. So, you know, New Year's, Memorial Day, Labor Day, my three days I play the Monday Skins game here. <laughs> it's, it's, is it, is it the best Skins game in, in Phoenix? It's still, and it's the, I think it's the longest standing. It's okay. been going on for a long time. Um, so yeah, it, it is fun. It's reliable. Derek, have you spent a lot of time in Phoenix playing golf? Yeah, I come up here quite a bit, uh, some for instruction, but we both play in essentially every Southwest section event. So I'm up here quite a bit. And when I can team with this guy, I'm not saying we've gone undefeated, but the record books would show that. Um, <laughs> so it's a lot of fun playing with a tour player, and I just ride him uh, and make a few chips and putts. Can you just kind of walk us through your journey to this point? Because again, I mean, you've got a great social media following. It's a lot of fun to kind of follow um, what you do. I I learn stuff from your social media, which is something I don't think I say a lot about a lot of social medias out there. But, um, you know, I mean, you've, you've kind of established yourself as this thing online. And now, obviously, you've got a, a great relationship with Ping. So could you just kind of walk us through your journey through golf to this point? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in Minnesota. That's where I'm born and raised. Family's there. 
and grew up with a golfing family. My my brother, my dad, my mom all played. And we grew up in Elk River, Minnesota. The team was extremely competitive. So we'd have like a hundred kids try out for the golf in, team. In, in Minnesota. Yeah. So if you couldn't shoot like upper 70s, you couldn't make varsity. Like the JV team was shooting like, like low 80s. So after always being the shortest kid in basketball, even though I loved it, after skateboarding and then not really being that successful, <laughs> um, went into golf and started to shoot kind of low 90s, upper 80s. This is about in the eighth grade. And I got the first golf book I ever got in eighth grade, the Dave, uh, the Dave Pell's Short Game Bible. Yep, yep. So not a quick read. Uh, it was more of, a, more of a Bible than maybe the Bible, I guess you could say. Uh, but I got really into it, and what I found is, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy besides my besides my looks now, um, so I didn't hit it that far, and I knew I had to find a way to score better. So reading that book, getting into short game, and then really seeing for me, we would play these nine hole matches, and I I would miss every green, and sometimes still do, but I would I could get up and down nine times to shoot like even par, so it was incredible. I was kind of the short game guy a little bit then. So it's always had a special place in my heart, got into the golf business, golf industry. And then as I started teaching, again, I teach all areas, but short game definitely has a special place. And that's kind of why it is uh, so special to me, I guess. Derek, what about your, you know, some of the funnest things is to watch it in person. And I've experienced this. Uh, others have seen online. What is your, fa- when did your fascination uh, begin with spinning the ball? One of the things that you can yeah, do that yeah. I we're still trying to figure out, quite frankly, is uh, is how much you can spin some certain shots, especially mm-hmm. very sh- shots that fly very short. Yeah, which is a hard thing to do. I can outspin you with a full gap yeah, wedge, yeah, yeah. but I can't do it with uh, some of, some of these shots you hit around the green. When when did your fascination with spin begin? Yeah, that's interesting. I think you know, like back in the day. I remember it was all you'd, you'd see it on TV, and that was kind of back in the late '90s when when they were playing like uh, you know the balada balls. So yeah. I was like, oh, I want to do that on a full swing, even. So I got my snake eyes wedge, and you know I looked for that Titleist DT spin ball because it said DT spin, so you know it had to have spun. It's in the name, <laughs> right? So then you know it's like 90 yards out. We find a day it's like blowing 30 into me, and I'm like, man, I'm just gonna I want to spin this so bad. So we kind of like explore that way. Never really did anything with it. And then as I started to kind of teaching it in a short game, I just started to kind of hit some shots because uh, I really used to not spin the ball. So it's not like I've always just been the spin guy. I was kind of grew up in that Dave Pell's somewhat Phil Mickelson hinge and hold, not that that, that can't spin it, but to kind of use my hands like I currently do was kind of this process where I started hitting some shots. I recorded a, a, a video that's on, on my website maybe eight years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And I could kind of make it stop. And I was like, oh, this is so, so cool. But then after that, uh, really what, what what made it take off was when I saw Tiger's shot at the Valspar. There was this video that went viral online. And it was Tiger at about 30 yards out, hits this high shot. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, it's going to be high and stop. But it, like, checks and spins right and back. And I was like, no way. This is crazy. So I reached out to a ton of people. And a lot of them were like, oh, it's easy. You just do this. And we like, are, are you like emailing people, calling people? Like, uh, social media at okay. this point, right? So I'm, I'm, social media probably started in maybe 10 years ago or just, just short of that. And that's where really only one person took me seriously. 
Chris Como. So then at that point in 2020 is when we kind of had this back and forth talking about this shot. And then I just took it on as a challenge to really just see what there was. And that's, it'd be waking up in the middle of the night, trying stuff like all crazy golfers do. And uh, at some point it kind of worked out and I'm sitting on the couch with you guys. So Derek, this is the shot Tiger hit. He hit and he's in the gallery, right? Is that the one that he hit? No, so, so the first one was uh, at the Valspar in a practice round, I think when he finished second to maybe Paul Casey, yep. Yeah, I think. And then the one I think you're referring to, he hit another one like in the Zozo. I think it might have even been before he won, but it's in the Zozo. He's putting on this clinic, and you could probably YouTube this Zozo clinic. I mean, this is super nerdy. I think I watched this shot yesterday. Just so you in know. all these like oohs and ahs, like <laughs> he's flighting all these shots. But the first shot he hit, he taps this ball out there, 15 yards, brings a ball and hits this high shot that spins, spins right, like all, like hits the ball, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" And it yeah. just sounds incredible. So you mentioned Tiger a couple of times. Who are your kind of spin idols, if you will? Yeah. So Tiger Woods is number one. Um, when I do my shots. I use the Bridgestone ball, Tiger's ball, but it has to be the one that says Tiger on it where okay. he's on the cover because it just motivates me, I guess. Um, so I would say he's number I would say he's number one. Do you throw the I, ball back to your assistant if they give you a non-Tiger ball? Just give me the right ball. What are yeah, you doing? I tape up my I tape up my fingers. Perfect. And I, no, I don't. Um, but I use that ball and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But that ball is like, you know, the spinniest ball, and Marty's helped me as well as Eric and all of Ping, right? So I think that's kind of why we're such a great partnership as well is we have these questions that you, Eric, the whole staff are actually interested in, right? When I reached out to all these people, they're like, Oh, it's just easy. He plays this and he does this. And I reached out to a lot of great short game people even, and they kind of dismissed it. I'm like, no, I think there's something here. Yeah. And Como was like, let's go. Let's have a combo. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tigers one, who else do you have on your list of the, maybe not even the people you look up to in terms of spin, but, like mm-hmm. modern day golfers sure. that you're impressed by with the way they can kind of manipulate spin and, and loft and things like that. Jeez. Uh, ju- just a ton of players, right? So I, I would say to some amount, like Tiger's protege, like Justin Thomas. Yep. Um, you see, just and, and any of the shots, right? The one that Joaquin Neiman hit. Uh, my buddy Matt Every was on the call and he was like, whoa, you know, I think I, you might have been on that live with them. Uh, JT. It's funny because I'm a huge fan of like Steve Stricker, who yep. kind of does some of the opposite stuff. He can still spin it, yeah, but he's like a short game idol. Just all these, you know, as I've taught and started to learn, maybe why certain players can do things, and really started to understand more than just a model, but like why does Steve Stricker stuff work? Why does Sergio Garcia stuff work? Why does these certain shots work? That um, just kind of helped me, I guess, overall. So it's it's almost more about studying process than player. It's almost more like how are they able to do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I think that's where I've gotten to where I am. It's it's learning and I've I've had a, some great resources, but also just seeing like why does Luke Donald do this? Why does a Brett Rumford do this? Why does Steve Stricker move this way? Why does certain people who do certain things, you know, have certain body movements and then what are they trying to accomplish? So it's 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 an interesting puzzle that I just I just love so much. Derek, one of the things I think I admire about you is, is uh, you know, you talked about Stricker chipping with a certain technique. It's different than Tiger and, and JT and some of the other players out there. How have you distilled what the tour players do? There are different techniques. 
I think I've, I've seen you use the term long arc, short arc, right? Uh, and how do you take those and teach your everyday, your club golfers, you know, your, your mid to high handicap players? I, th- I think where that has really helped me is just understanding when someone has a certain pattern what their struggles would tend to be, i.e. when when people are told to be wide and, and shallow in general, they're going to be underplaying the whole club, the whole system's moving so far off. And I'll be like, well, are you are you hitting it fat and thin a bunch? Like, oh, how'd you know? Mm, so just yeah. kind of knowing what their tendencies might, might be, and then we can help improve them just, just with a shot or a skill, right? So if they're super wide, low and inside we can somewhat quantify it and it's not quite this simple, but it can be. It's like, Hey, I need you to use some amount of wrists and hit me like a wristy slice that can tend to neutralize them. Contact improves. They can see a quick improvement more than, Hey, let's shorten that arc. Let's, let's increase this. You can make it real simple that way. Okay, cool. What are some misconceptions about spin? Because I, I was chatting with you earlier. We're out here kind of like messing around with some wedges and stuff. And, like I think everyday people get taught that lower on the face spins more. You've got to hit it high to spin the golf ball. Like what are you figuring out, running into solving the problems of about spin that maybe you thought one way yeah. that now you think the total opposite. Yeah. So that would, uh, all, all those questions go to Eric Hendrickson and everyone at Payne <laughs> because even me, I'm learning new stuff all the time. Right. And, and I'm sure, uh, you know, I've got bad information out there, right? It's like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of common knowledge. We think that maybe this produces this. It's like, okay, I've kind of seen that. And then also there'll be things that uh, I can take to Eric and Marty where it's like, hey, I can hit on this part of the club. This tends to do this. And they can explain why. It's like, at, at this point, again, they're so smart. It's like, here's what I'm seeing. You tell me why. Like, I, I don't really know, but I can do this. I don't know really how, but you guys tell yeah. me, Smarties. I, yeah, I think, Shane, what, uh, why Derek and Chris and the rest of our ambassadors do and our players, they, you know, we had Joe Mayo on right. a while back, is that push. They're pushing us, and, a lot, and when we don't know the answers, it means they're observing something in real life we need to try to figure out and then try to feed that big, back into just that understanding of golf physics. And, and Derek brought up a good point that, hey, maybe I have bad information out there. You know, uh, in in the scientific world, it's kind of you, you could say that, you know, facts have a half life because you can yeah. level up your knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. and, you know? I mean, and, and, and maybe golf is the biggest sport about that. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you think about the stuff you and I've talked about on this podcast that was true 10 years ago. That is yeah. the complete opposite these yeah. days. Distance versus accuracy yeah. and hit low on the face and things of that nature. So this has been great to have Derek on on board to push us come in and, and, and uh, help do some of those fun, fun projects, try to crack the code on those yeah. those spin shots. Yeah, and also the fact that you guys have the spinniest wedge makes me look pretty good. <laughs> we, could, we call that science friction. Science yeah. friction, lots of compliance, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. How did the relationship start with Ping? Like, how did that conversation begin? I was, you know, Marty has always helped me out, um, like doing some driver fittings. Like, he would always take care of me. Super nice. Every time I had an experience of a ping, it was like incredible. They got, you know, I was like, I'm hitting driver bad. And they're like, oh, I'll try this. I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know I could hit it a little better and further. So Marty was just helping me send it. And then at that point, I, working with Chris, uh, qualifying for that Sh- a Shriners event, kind of this perfect storm, and then being up the road, and I know what ping stands for and everything. So it was, it, I was kind of like, 
oh no, don't don't help me out. Or you know, like, sure, yeah, I guess I'll go hang out at Bing. So it really was this hope hope that it would work out. And yeah, it's 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 great. Derek was a, a good case study, Shane. We've talked about that on drivers. There's a relationship between distance and accuracy. Derek right. drives it very straight. Straight, but he's self-admitted, not the longest player out there. Um, so what we did with him is we put him in our Alta CB X-Flex shaft super counterbalance right up to the 46-inch limit. So that's a case where we actually went longer mm -hmm. because he drives it so straight and put a premium on getting more. Well, remember more the first time though, we it was forty eight. Oh, it was when over. It was, oh, when yeah, it was, it was when it was to forty, I'm like Marty, give it to give it as long as I can. I don't I don't care. It doesn't matter. And then what I do, I put it right in the bag. Right You're like you bag. don't have to play this. It was like at week up. I'm like Marty's going straight in. Yeah, it's it was just really like good. it's like there's no it's, there's no barrier. It's super easy. Yeah, it's like of course I was just going straight in. You're yeah. like, Great, um, Derek. The you know your your interest on social media has led you to I'm assuming some doors you probably didn't know you'd be knocking on or walking through. Tour players have come to you for advice. Collegiate players, LPGA players. Who was the first tour player to reach out and you worked with, and how has that been personally for you to have people you see on TV and professional golfers want to pick your brain about golf? Yeah, so I, I I've worked with some like Tucson people. In the past, uh, Ronnie Black's a good friend, Don Pooley. But then, like, getting to know it and become friends with Max Homa, you know, our mutual friend. Um, seeing him when COVID really started he, is when we kind of started working. And then just watching him grow and, you know, obviously with his coach, Mark Blackburn, he's got him so dialed in and just kind of being a sounding board for a while and, and working with him there. And then... Uh, not to have a little success, like for him, and we've both seen it. He's just the hardest worker I've ever seen. He will do information right away. He's just an incredible talent. And then when you put that all together, and now he's won like six more times again, like no, with no no real help for me. Such such a talent. But it was really cool to see and hang out with him a bunch at TPC Scottsdale, and 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 then you know. Who doesn't like Max Homer, right? If you don't like Max Homer, you're the problem. Let's be clear. <laughs> like, it ain't Max. So doing that, and then now it's, yeah, just uh, I consult for a lot of players. A lot come to Tucson. You meet some really cool people, and uh, it's a wild ride. And it's doing what I love. I love teaching all of golf, but something special about helping short game to me that just you know when you do that thing that makes you feel alive or it's like i don't even know what i'm getting paid i don't care what i'm getting paid like this is what i want to do it's like teaching short game to really anyone but like the high level players is, is special I'm, I'm actually interested in both of your thoughts on this but i'll start with you derek you, you know you we talk so much about teaching golf um is it a different approach to teaching a great player versus teaching an average player because they're bringing so many different skill sets to the table but in theory you're probably trying to get them to similar spots, right? I mean, in terms of contact or where they hit the ball or the way they're they're moving it through through impact. I mean, I'm assuming the end goal might be the same, but the yeah. way you get there might be different. The, the tough thing is a tour player, you can give them terrible info and they can probably make it work. Okay. They're so skilled <laughs> yep. and Marty, so, that, yeah. so talented that I could tell them to use the opposite end of the club. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get, I get, you know, depending on what their level is. But when you get a player that comes in for a lesson, they miss your hand, you know, trying to shake it. It's like, okay, we're going to try to get this club on this ball. Let's be clear. It ain't going to probably go that well. So, so knowing that, so then you really have to dial in things that they can do 
what's reasonable, yeah. make it very clear so that they can have success. So, so that's really kind of a sneaky, fun challenge. It's like, you know, if I can get this person to short game it, well, not, you know, with, with no disrespect to them, cause it's a challenging game, but it's like, man, that's, that's an accomplishment compared to these super high level players that really can do anything, which is why they're where they're at. The way I'd answer that one, change from a from a fitting standpoint, would be that the high handicap golfer we don't see them, we they don't need to have as much uh, variation in their short game. They can have one staple shot they rely on, let's say 95 percent of the time, and quite often they are not comfortable opening the face. Right, so I, I want to flip that your way here in a second, Derek. But then, then the more skilled golfer, they need they're going to have more variety. They're going to move the handle around. They're going to lean it back, lean it forward, raise the handle, lower their hands for different shots. So that we will put them through a more advanced fitting protocol that stresses all those areas and make sure it works for the shots they need to hit on the course. Derek, for you, what do you see with the high handicap player? Um, do they, do they fear opening the face? Can you get them to open the face? Is that something you teach them? I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on it's, that. It's very case by case basis. I get a lot, something that I, I somewhat have a specialty in, I guess, is I'm a lot of people's last resort when they have the yips. So I've had people flying from all over. They're like, it's you or nothing. <laughs> and you'll see some of these people and it's like, it's, man, that's either a major compliment or a huge dig. I'm not I, it's fine. It's like, Hey, you're my last resort. <laughs> this is it. And you'll see them hit some shots. And I'm like, are you really playing? Are you doing this in front of your buddies? Like, hey, this is wow. So it, when that's the case, it's just getting, any way that they can predict contact, uh, getting comfortable with with any any style, before we start moving up the chain to like, okay, we we got to make pretty good contact, then we got to control it, and it's building this this kind of learning foundation of okay, well then we can start to open the face. Same thing in bunkers, right? They, people have one speed when they come to me, they're struggling. It's called panic speed. Get me out of here. Mm, they give it full gas, and this ball's going anywhere. <laughs> it's so uh, it's very player to player in that regard. I feel like teaching golf, I mean, you know, if you were going to compare it to like a road trip, there are, you know, high handicap players, players you're talking about last resort type of players that the road trip, like to get them to a next level might be another city. It might be driving from Tucson to Phoenix or Tucson to El Paso. You're talking to a tour player. It might literally just be trying to get them to the next exit, you know, where it's like, it's not, there's not that much you need to improve on, but if I can get you a mile better on this road trip, then it can be, you know, it can be an enormous leap for you because it's just so incremental in terms of getting better when you're that, that high of a level of golfer. I think that's, what's helped me out even in my coaching. So I get a lot of players that see me for spin, right? They want to hit that spin shot. So we don't necessarily have to change form, change technique, change how they do anything. It's like, Hey, we can add these shots. We can add these skills to your toolbox and then head down the road. Derek, uh, what shot, or let's say you're on the golf course, um, what, you, you, you walk up to your ball, what scenario and conditions get you very excited, like you're going to be able to melt this golf ball? You're going to be able to show off a great yeah, with yeah. a shot on the course. So I really like, so if I had to set the, the stage, right? So it's a perfect live ball sitting up, right? TPC Scottsdale is a perfect example. When it's, it's like, man... How can I, you know, I'm just going to spin this thing. And then if I can go, I kind of like, you know, you can spin it. You see guys spin it from like 50, 60, that, that's fine. Yeah. But the one that opens eyes is when you're close 
and you can spin it and people are like i haven't seen that so if i get it right about my sweet spots probably if it calls for it right because in tournaments i'm gonna try to be smart but if it, <laughs> if it calls for it you know something where it's a tight pin maybe over something uh great lie maybe in that 10 to 20 yard range where i can just cut one up there so, so you're telling me you get excited about the shots that we don't want to hit. That's what you're telling exactly. me. Exactly. The yeah. ones I'm like, I don't want anything to do with exactly. this. I'll, I'm going to pitch this 20 feet by and maybe I'll make the putt. Yeah, it's it, and we both know you guys can both play, but it, it I think it does help somewhat practicing those kind of unique shots because it's like, I can go have fun with this. And I think something that's helped me in events is I don't care how I look or how I play. Like, I can live with any result. If I had a terrible shot, uh, no one's better at living with a bad result than me. So I think yeah. that gives me a huge advantage because I don't care how it turns out. So that helps me free it up, put myself in that practice mode, kind of lick my lips and be like, watch this. Oh. And then, I mean, it's just fun. It's just however it goes. It's great. When did social media become a part of all this? Because, I mean, as I've mentioned, I mean, the social media side has grown. What's your relationship like right now with Instagram? Do you love it? Is it... Is it frustrating at times? Yeah. So the great thing for me is it's all fun. It, it's I, I don't necessarily like an additional. Thing yeah. To exactly. What you do? So the the greatest thing that it's helped me do is meet great people, great coaches, great players. I don't need to make money off of it. If a video does well or bad, it doesn't really matter to me. I, again, I think I started kind of eight or nine years ago, and uh, I was talking last night to George Genkis, his good friend. And we were both at like a couple, like a thousand followers or 2000 followers. And I'm, I'm seeing him and, you know, to watch him grow. And so we were kind of early adopters, I guess, in the, in the Instagram era, which I probably should have done YouTube, honestly, <laughs> if I'd talked to my younger self and be playing golf for fun for a lot of money. Um, and then it kind of Instagram changed, TikTok came out, some of these other platforms. So like the algorithm or whatever you want to call it has maybe adjusted somewhat, but it doesn't matter. Like I'm still just putting out things I like oftentimes I'll get asked to speak about goofy, you know, not goofy things, but like, you know, how do you build, how did you build your brand or how did you, yeah. it's like, okay, I got on Fiverr and I got my logo, uh, you know, for 15 bucks. <laughs> I, you know, I sent it to 15 people, but in hundred like, okay. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, let me get 15 options for, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it from there. And then, um, again, just really being able to, to, to do it for fun, I think has really allowed me to, to have no pressure, right? So I'd be doing the same thing if I had zero followers, same thing if I had whatever followers, but it's just because I love this game so much. And it's just, I love teaching it. I love playing it. Uh, I think about it too much and it's just like an addiction. Shay, we did the Halloween edition, scary shots. Yep. And it was uh, the like 40 to 70 yard bunker shot. This guy is probably the best I've ever seen at it. What's your? What's the? I would actually agree. <laughs> I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm real not, good. I'm not gonna listen, lie. I'm gonna be the honest. Proof's in the pudding, though. All right, so exactly. can, you, can you walk us through your process? It's how super do you do easy. It? It's the easiest process. Oh, ever. now you're going Phil Mickelson on us. Now, uh, Look yeah. how easy this is. So I'm not that. Smart. So here's, but here's what I. So when I have two tour players come down, or at least college kids, and I'd ask you both of this. So your highest lofted wedge, out of 60, out of normal sand, when you make a full swing, how far does it fly? Out of a normal bunker shot? How far? Give me a number. Eight yards. Full swing? Oh, like I'm I'm hitting a full uh, shot. Like it's a full bunker blast. Oh, 30 yards. Exactly? I have no idea. That's a problem. <laughs> 20-ish? Okay, so in a tournament, mine flies 30 yards exactly. 
Full bunker shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, normal shot. So I know that. I have all my players calibrate that. Okay. So that's a knowledge thing. So when I get to a greenside bunker and I pull out my laser and everyone's like, what's this goofball doing? It's like, <laughs> I'm again, I don't care how I look, right? We've, we've been clear about that. I don't care at all. I'll laser the pin and it's like, oh, 30, it's like 31 pin. Oh, this is full. Does your laser measure that short? <laughs> well, so see, most people don't even know that. Yes, it does. So, and then if I got 40 yards, it's my next wedge. It's my 55. At 50 yards, it's uh, my 50 degree. At 60 yards, it's pitching wedge. I had a shot this past summer. It was like 75 to the pin. I just looked up. I've got my little matrix. And I said, oh, this is, it was kind of sitting down. So I didn't want to hit like a shot. I was like, that's just full nine iron blast. It was 70, 75 yards. I hit it to 15 feet because I just, I have a system that I just feel like, again, I've never seen it hurt anyone to know those numbers because then it can give you confidence in events when you need it. And it, it, it I'm not trying to hit closer to the ball. Podcast I'm not Shame. trying to do anything different. It's like, I love a 45 yard bunker shot because it's just a, it's a full, it's a full 55. We played together at Phoenix Country Club, the drivable number six. Yeah, you guys yeah. were all up there. I was, yeah, in that, was back in the, in the bunker, bunker back there. Kind of, kind of number five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of wiped. Yeah, kind of didn't hit yeah, one. I didn't grade. make it over so at there, any point. Back, I see him. It was like Rain Man. He got out this thing and doing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, I walk up by the green and he hits up to like five feet. I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then he hold about a thirty-five yeah, bunker that's shot. Cool. Hey, perfect for come birdie. On, dude. We were so, coming back, Marty Birdies. Yeah, we came back. We came back. Coming back. Be, beat the amateurs. Yeah, yeah. Take take down take down the amps. I've, <laughs> I've I've never again. I mean, you think about how much you focus on the game, and to think about never knowing how far I hit a full bunker shot is. I've never. I'm 39. Yeah. I've never thought about it. Once. So so I've got I've kind of developed these protocols. Things I like every tour player to have. I get a I have a lot of high level kind of D1 players that I, I help out to. Um, I have these certain metrics that I like you to know just because, again, like when I had that 75-yard bunker shot in Minnesota, the ball was sitting down, I had a solution to the the question the course asked. I didn't have to practice it ever. I just was like, okay, this is the plan, and then let's let's do it. What is the checklist you ask the players that come your way to have answered? Yeah, so when it comes down to it, it's like having certain shots and skills, Right, we can simplify, and there's there's much more to this, but it's like having a good ball first skill in short game, having a good ground first short uh, skill in short game, out of the bunkers knowing certain numbers from thirty to a hundred knowing certain numbers. Again, even if you don't use them, so I like my players to be more planned than the guy or or girl that they're gonna play, and then it's just like a, a, a cheat sheet when you're when you're on the golf course. Do you do any of that with putting as well? Any, any 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 of that framework go to putting? So I haven't yet, but I feel like there is a need because if I teach someone, and, and this is what I found in teaching, it's my job to meet them where they're at. If they don't want to practice, I've got to figure out a solution for them. I don't need them to practice mm-hmm. per se if they don't want to. That's on me. So at that point, if someone comes to me, they say, I plan my annual work event. How do I hit a 50-foot putt? I should have a solution to that. So what we can do is, we can start to use their feet, spread them out, and say, hey, if we have a certain metronome number and we do a certain stroke, I think this is where you're going to get close. Or we can have them kind of measure three three, three stance widths because I've got to give them a solution. Again, like I don't need them to practice if they don't want to, but I better give them a good solution explaining, hey, if you're not, if you're not going to practice, you know these maybe goals you have are not uh, attainable. But if you don't want to practice, I better be able to give you somewhat of an answer 
whether I want to or not. You did that with my kids in putting. I remember. I just they just took their normal stance with my kids are their putters going all over. So just to the foot, to the foot, boom. Exactly. They're rolling the rock. Now. Yeah, they're rolling yeah. the pier. I mean, what what a what a way to think about it where it's really teaching per player. You know, I mean, we've talked a lot about that with different instructors yeah. where it feels like the old school way was here's my system, I'll match you to my system. Yeah. And now it's a lot about I'm going to try to figure out the best case scenario for you. And I mean, I've thought about it in terms of swing and body type. And Mark Blackburn talks a lot about this. I mean, you know, talk about matching who you are, you know, to what you're capable of doing, what your body's capable of doing. But even even the commitment to time and and ability to practice and what your goals are at the end of the day. I mean, it's so interesting to think about it from that perspective. Yeah. Again, I think that's where I've become a better instructor is because, you know, I'd be like, well, you got to find, not, not that I would ever say it, but like, well, can't you find time to practice? And again, you guys have, you know, kids, family and all that. And then also what you've realized after teaching for so long is people who practice don't necessarily get any better right? They get vitamin D yep. from the sun, they get sweaty, <laughs> they get frustrated, and and the, the time spent doesn't equate to better score. Yep. So at that point, I don't want you to waste your time. I'd rather you go play. So if I have a, I teach a lot of working people, and I'm like, I want to give you easy solutions, and I need you to go play and have fun. I don't want you to go beat balls at the range, again, where you're maybe doing something that we're not working on, you're, just, you're maybe regressing or doing something poorly, I want to give you good solutions. You go play. You just have better answers. Derek, what do you like more, playing or teaching? So what helps my teaching is I love playing the game way more. And I love to teach. So you like them both? Win, I win. love them both. Win-win. But, but playing, <laughs> so making my game in, in season, my game's a priority. So someone's like, can you squeeze me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't. Uh, I got to practice or I got to play. So by doing that, though, it shows your students, you know, the commitment when needed. Also, when you go and do playing lessons and hit shots, you know, when I've never seen it be bad for a coach to be able to hit great shots. Yeah. Not that you don't they have to, right? You don't have to be a great player to, to coach well. But I've never seen a student not, you know, when you're hitting some great shots and, you know, you're kind of lighting up the, the green and it's looking pretty good for you. I've never seen a student be like, ah, oh, bummer, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It just can can add, value yeah. added. It's, it's only to be helpful. Can we talk about the new edges? Because, um, yes. I mean, these the S-159s are so, A, beautiful. I think that's what's kind of blown me away the most. But it, it feels like, and I don't think you're going out on a limb to say this, they're the best wedges Ping has ever made. And for somebody that's obsessed with spinning the golf ball and yeah. in and around the greens, I'm sure when you saw those for the first time, uh, it was probably like, a bit of like a Christmas birthday kind of combo. Yeah, and again, ping is so great in every area. Wedges haven't done as well as maybe you know ping would want. I, I'm sure, right? It's it's you know well known to some extent there, but now with the app, with the simplicity of the wedge lineup, with the look, with the options, with the bounce options, and then having the again, I'm in the friction business, so it's like the <laughs> spinniest club. I see you back there, friction man. It's the spinniest club in a high friction environment, and then it's just so much better in a low friction environment. So for what I do, it's great. But again, playing all the ping stuff, right? Ping woods, how well do they do? I mean, you're you guys are posting non-staff guys playing ping yeah, woods night yeah. and day, right? I think you, it's I think it's a, a humbling thing would say very well. Would be yeah, exactly right. Point. So it's going very well, and then I feel like now, like again. 
Ping has had, but like their their wedge lineup and product is so good. And again, I, before I played in in the Shriners, I had you know another brand, and it was like okay, you probably don't want to switch that before you go in. You gave me the wedges out of the bunkers; they were incredible. And then off the ground, I'm like, these are going straight in. And it was just like from day one, they did everything I wanted and more. And then being in the friction business, they make me look better than I probably am. What is your what is your typical kind of um, gapping? How do you do your gapping on your your own wedges there? So I've always liked uh, 60, 56, 52, 48. But now modernly, it's, it's 60, 55, 50, and then 45. Okay. Yeah. yeah so uh, always been a four wedge guy. And just Dave Pellis told me so. Marty, what's your gapping right now? 61, then a 56 at 55, 50 at 50 and a half, and then my, and then my uh, <laughs> Blueprint S uh, pitching wedge. Okay. So, yeah. You, so, you, you've never, have you gone four wedges before? I mean, obviously, you're using the wedge out of the set. Have you yeah. Have gone, like, the four wedges and why the, why the switch back, I guess, is what I Yeah. Mean. So, yeah, the set wedge, the, the uh, Blueprint S pitching wedge. And I went to four wedges when, when I went from Arizona to Colorado. Okay. Because then my gapping just exploded. And I was like, you get up there in Colorado and uh, you're driving it far and then you have a lot of 120-yard shots at a huge gap. So I got the gaps kind of dialed in, and I've kept that ever since. I've really, I've really enjoyed that. It's a, a skill to be able to develop, to be able to hit those tweener wedges. That's actually something I need to work on a little bit. This year, we heard from Preston, who right here, literally out back, back here. You got to talk about. I'm, I mean, That's where's, when's when, our tea time? Yeah, when we did our podcast with Preston, and he did his like strengths and weaknesses analysis off of his previous year. It was his number one thing he wanted to work on was his wedge gapping. He's he's got not a bad spot yeah, to work no on it right out there. Come yeah, on, bro. I mean this is a it's a bit silly if, if you if you can't see behind us, we'll probably show it if you're watching the YouTube uh, clip of this. But at the bird, you can basically dial everything within five yards of every shot. I think up to one twenty five or one thirty. So. Yeah. If you're not a great wedge player while you're at ASU, it's yeah. your fault. I think that's like Derek saying, <laughs> I can try to make you better, but you probably have to put a little time in. Derek, what mistakes do you see um, some of your students come in with in terms of their wedges or maybe their lob wedge? First question. And second question related to that is, do you like to teach your players to use two wedges or do you want them to be like, we heard Tiger and Annika, yeah. hey, 60 degree, learn how to use it from everywhere. Yep. So for myself growing up, I've, I've always used, again, every time I have a shot, you've seen it, unfortunately. It's like, why is this guy bringing this whole bag up to the shot? Well, I always bring my four wedges, and I like my last wedge to be my W. I don't like playing like a 48 there because I want it to not spin. So I want it to be somewhat of a set wedge in a sense that it won't check up when I want to hit it lower and, and, and have it not spin. Based on that, uh, the question of, what do you want a student to do short term? If they don't have time to practice and they like one club, I'm just going to have them wear that club out. Right. Okay, we can work okay. on some landing spot stuff. We can do some stuff like that. But then I say, Hey, maybe long term. here's where, you know, I feel like over time we can start to put the odds in our favor as we start to do less work. If I'm going to carry the ball less, have it, you know, be more predictable with spin, uh, I feel like I'm doing less than a lot of people. Again, you see the social media stuff. When I play, I try to remove spin to be a little bit more predictable when I need to. So I feel like on stock short game shots, I'm doing less than most people. So I want that maybe for a long-term college okay. player, professional. 
but it, it's whatever is working, right? So if someone comes to me and they say, well, geez, I don't really want to change this. And I say, well, your stats say you're last. So, you know, we can kind of keep that in mind, but I wouldn't keep anything you're doing, right? Or maybe they're doing something where the stats say, hey, the stats back this up. So we're going to look at that before we, you know, make too many uh, decisions. Marty, that is, it's interesting you asked that question. I feel like that's something I struggle with a bit in my game is I'll walk up to a shot and I will almost allow myself too many options. Yeah. You know, it's like a, like an easy chip shot and it's like, maybe it's 56 and it's kind of low with like a little bit of spin or maybe I get to the 50 and do the same thing. And I've been trying to lean a little bit more into just taking the one club up to the green. Like if you're riding a card or, or you're using your push card and you get it over to the side, it's like, just take one. So then you only have one option because yeah. I play four wedges and I mean, it is easy to kind of get lost in the process as opposed to just going up there and going, I know I can make this, this shot work with this club as long as I completely believe in it. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. Getting over that chip shot, I'm about to hit it, and I got my four clubs there. Ah, swap it out. <laughs> ah, it doesn't feel right. Swap it out. <laughs> it goes back I've to it's always typically the first choice is, <laughs> exactly. is almost the right one to go with. Yeah, trust your instinct there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I think for that, right, so when I bring up four, my process would be I'm kind of trying to find that flattish spot, two to three steps on the green or wherever is reasonable. If there's no slopes or anything, yeah. we can negate that. But I'll kind of find a spot and then just doing it for so long. It's like, okay, then what? What club fits that window? And then it's like, okay, there's my club choice. So I'm kind of, it's like I could land it here or there, but I'm kind of, I've kind of trained myself to kind of see the same kind of spot. I want to land it and roll it out. And then it's pretty easy to, to decide from there. But I can understand like, well, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. So at that point, that's where the benefits of, you know, one club to just be like, hey, this is what you got to do. When you have uh college players or, or young professionals come to you for advice around the greens. What do you feel like is a shot that they consistently either struggle with or they're trying to get answers for? Because when you play golf with really good players, you know, a lot of the standard shots are good at. What's one that maybe they all kind of ask you questions about? Yeah, short game's weird because uh, some players will reach out because they're like, hey, I'm feeling kind of yippy. Okay. Right. So at that point, it's like, okay, how, how do we solve that? A lot. How do you solve that? Uh, so it's very it's it's very player based because I've got some videos of some some yippers that you just you couldn't believe. So it's very player based, but it's essentially changing the way that they do things. Because usually, I, in, in my case, I've never found it to be just mental. It's this it's a poor technical way to do it. That over time, if I had to do it that way too, I'd be in basket case as well. It's, you're not having success. How can you picture success? Like you're seeing bad shots. I would be pretty negative too, right? I mean, we haven't seen any success. So the yips are a little bit um, player to player. I, I I get players a lot of players for spin, right? So that's kind of a, a forte of mine. But then I'll get a lot of players who they're like, you know, things are okay, but my stats don't back it up. So I've developed some ways that I like to see people practice with hitting some certain landing spots. I've got some metrics for if you have a certain shot, what what the the landing zone should be, and that's where you know Scott Fawcett's come down to to do some work on that. So it's really, you know, even in in short game, it can be like, well, you know, I'm I'm hitting this shot, but it just kind of feels this way, right? So it's it's not quite full swing coach in that regards, but it can just be these almost weird requests at times. Where it's like, well, why does this do this? And and so it's it's very can be general and it can be very specific. Yeah. Derek, let's talk a little bit about that marriage of teaching and fitting. Um, we talked to Boyd Summerhays on the pod. He was like, if there's ever an issue with performance, I'm looking at the equipment first, right? Because he said Tony and 
Preston, they're kind of they're kind of proud. They're not complainers. Uh, but quite often, hey, maybe it's if you're hitting your seven iron right, maybe the line goes off or something, right? What is that indication if you get a player down there? Everything's looking good mechanically, but they might not be in the right grind. What 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 do you see in the results? How do you diagnose that? How do you marry up the the fitting, the grind fitting with instruction? Yeah. So oftentimes, again, if someone's struggling or just kind of, you know, have some members at the club because I teach a lot of high-level players. Then at our club, we have members from five handicaps to new golfers, right? So when they come in, and I might just see a club, and I'm like, man, that club's way older than me. They just stick it in the ground because it's like a knife. I don't even know if bounce was invented yet. So I'm like, man, congrats. Like, this is kind of what you should be doing. I'll let them try my club. I'll let them try some other things. Like, oh, man, I didn't know that. Once you explain the technology, you know, how to use maybe the bottom of the club if that's something they struggle with. And then from there, giving them some different options, asking what type of terrain, sand, shots they like to play so that we can kind of further dive into. And I think that's where, uh, you know, some of the new stuff with the with the ping fitting uh, yeah. app is going to be special. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the app is sensational. It's just simple. I mean, to, to simplify all this stuff down to questions golfers can actually answer is such a, a unique thing, Marty. I mean, I... I I tout this all the time. I mean, the innovation around ping has just been so cool because it it's so easy to not easy, but it's 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 easy in theory to present new technology and yeah. say this stuff's the next best thing. But to explain to a golfer why they need it or if they're using it the right way, I always go back to the adjustable drivers when they first came out. It was an amazing technology, but average golfers had no idea how to figure yeah. out even what to do with the driver yeah. until it was simplified to a way where you could actually go, okay, if I click, click it open here, then this adds one degree or yes, takes one degree off. Exactly. And wedges, I mean, we've talked about it here. We've talked to some other of the short game geniuses around ping, and I feel like the grinds and, and all of the options around wedges make sense, but it's very hard for an everyday golfer to understand which one they even need for the golf course they play or the area they live in. Yeah, I mean, I think, Shane, in, in wedges, people get paralyzed by what – all the different grinds Absolutely. of all the different manufacturers. So the the big friction point or pain point we try to solve with that app is is not only the grind, get you in the right grind or down to two, you can then go demo, try out and chip. Uh, but also we see a big problem with the gapping. And that's why I asked Derek about gapping is how do you gap your set? Because people, we see it all the time. They don't have the right spacing in their wedges and it's costing them a ton of shots. So the app kind of solves both those things. Derek, have you ever thought about going like seventy degree wedge or seventy five degree wedge? Just see what you can do with it. Uh, I, I would, I would guess uh, my dad. You know, he, t he tends to get some of the infomercial clubs. He might have that option, <laughs> right? I've seen that. You know, the eighty degree wedge yes. again at the, at the to hit you in the nose at the club. You know, I've seen every late night TV golf club. You know, when they come up and they're struggling, it's like, well, you know, they've got this club and this club. And, okay, okay. Would there be any compliance on an eighty degree wedge? That's my question for you. You know what? If anyone was going to make that ball comply, it's going to be me. It'd be you. But Eric Hendrickson would probably say otherwise. Well, Derek, uh, fascinating to hear your story. I mean, one of my favorite follows on Instagram. It's uh, it's a treat to actually meet you in in three D human form. It's always nice when you get to do that with people. But uh, keep grinding because, like I said, it's cool to have you as an ambassador. It's cool to have you in and around the ping team, and it's just fun to see what you're able to do. You know, with the wedges because um, not a lot of humans on planet Earth can do what you do. Yeah, and it's it's really a win win. I think it's a bigger win for me than ping. <laughs> 
because I could utilize their resources. It's like going to a library, and I'm you know I'm excited to go there. It's like oh, I'm gonna bug Eric. So today. is Marty the librarian? Well, well you know, scenario? no, it's I think a, it's <laughs> like, a symbiotic relationship. I'm kind of like, hey, Eric, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, got all these things. I'm like, can you want to hear me? <laughs> Talk about what I'm seeing. Can you draw some cool drawings for me? Yeah, Marty's card catalog is just his laptop of design features on the clubs. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's it's awesome to have you a part of it, and we thanks for your time. Absolutely, thanks, guys. This is the Ping Proving Grounds podcast.